0: Join me while we tackle today's Modern Mom Problems. Welcome back to another episode of Modern Mom Probs. I am your host, Tara Clark. Today's topic is why we need to get curious about kids' emotions. I'm joined by Deborah Farmer-Chris, who is a parent educator, education journalist, children's book author, and founder of Parenthood 365. Over the course of her career, Deborah has taught elementary school, middle school, and high school. She's worked at a school as a school administrator, directed leadership institutes, and has even served as an associate scholar at the Boston University Center for Character and Social Responsibility. As I mentioned, she is a children's book author for the series All the Time. Deborah, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So as I mentioned, you are a childhood expert and an author. You are a columnist for PBS Kids for Parents, and you also write for MindShift, the NPR learning blog. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got to where you are today.
1: So I got started the very best way with child development as a teacher. So I taught elementary school for many years. I was a school administrator at a K-8 school. I also taught middle school and high school. So I've really seen kind of the pre-K through 12, which is so helpful because parenting is the long game. And that is something when you're in the throes of, you know, potty training or teen drama to just realize like everything is a stage and every stage is an opportunity, but to see that lifespan is really helpful. And after about 15 years of teaching, I had my kids and decided to move part-time. And at that point, went back to my roots of, of writing. I've always loved writing. And I began to work as a education journalist and as a parenting columnist Along the way before that, I got my master's in counseling psychology with a focus on child development. So my real passion is really taking all of the great research out there that I am a complete nerd about and translating it in a way that helps parents make it usable because most of them don't have time to go and read some Columbia research study. So I like hunt for the nuggets and try to translate it.
0: That is so helpful. It really is. I often say that on a much smaller scale, I try to do the same thing too, especially with Information that's out on the internet from other parenting experts and stuff like that. There's so much, and it could be overwhelming. So I also try to like weed through it, give the best nuggets. But your nuggets are so good, and so <laughs> I really want to jump into that. Today's topic, as I mentioned before, is why we need to get curious about kids' emotions. So my question to Deborah is: Why do we? Curiosity is like. The best
1: tool we have as parents, because when we're curious, we are, that's when we learn. Like curiosity is this ultimate learning tool. When a kid is curious about dinosaurs, they will memorize the names of every dinosaur. When -hmm. we are curious about our kids and their emotions, the judgment is taken out of it, right? It's just like, oh, my kid's having this issue right now. I, I wonder why. Are they hungry? Did they something happen at school? Did they not get enough sleep last night? And suddenly all the things that are triggering us, because their emotions tend to trigger ours, mm-hmm. it helps us put that on the back burner and put the focus back where it belongs, which is on the child in front of us. So curiosity really is a judgment-free zone, because when you're curious, you want to learn. And that's why like becoming curious versus judgmental about emotions is really the best starting place. It's not the easiest place to get to, but if we can start training ourselves to be like, huh, they don't normally act like this. What might be happening here? That provides a safer place too for our kids, for them to see that we are authentically interested in what's going on in their lives.
0: Yeah. And this isn't necessarily just for toddlers, right? I mean, this sort of runs the gamut for elementary age kids and then even teenagers too, right? Huge for teenagers,
1: right? It's like, we want to jump to the judgment of why did you, but if we can be like, oh, they just exploded on me, I can, you know, snap back and send them to their room, or I can give them some space, let them calm down, and then start getting curious about what is the thing that is lying underneath? Like, if we can view anger as a trigger, like the tip of the iceberg emotion and realize that almost always there's another emotion beneath the surface that's really helpful and it's a really great gift to give to our adolescents and to our kids.
0: Yeah, it almost, I mean, from what I'm hearing, it almost sounds like you're saying that emotions like travel in pairs. Right, yeah. For like every anger then there is maybe, I don't know, like disappointment or something that comes with it.
1: Disappointment, fear, loneliness, anxiety. I'll I'll tell you a little story that um, I often tell middle schoolers. So at the very beginning of the shutdown, like 2020, it was summertime. And I was letting my kids like play on bikes with their friends outside. And my daughter comes in. Well, she was eight, I guess, at the time. And she runs up the stairs. She wasn't coming down. So I called up to her. And she like barked back, leave me alone. And she slammed her door. And it was like, you know, and all the, I was talking to a group of girls, middle school girls, and they gasped, like, oh, my mom would be so mad at me if I did that. And uh, so I went up and knocked the door and she's like, leave me alone, shut up, go away. So I just went and I sat on her bed because I'm curious, right? Like this isn't typical behavior necessarily. And after a little bit, I'm getting curious and I noticed that like the thermometer was out and I said, oh, did you take your temperature? No. I said, well, you know, it's like electric, so I can tell on my phone if you did, which was kind of a mom lie, but that's okay. Right, right. And she's like, you can. And she starts to cry. And she said, I took my temperature. It was 100. And she was terrified she had COVID, right? Because it was those early days and Mm -hmm. the fear was so high. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, but you just came in from a hot day. Like, let's take it again. And of course, it was normal. Mm -hmm. But what was underneath her snapping at me was just fear. And if I had responded by saying, don't you talk to me that way, young lady. And so I was sharing the story with a group of middle school girls, as I said. And One of them said the most profound thing. She said, I wish my parents would remember that when I get mad at them, it's almost always because I'm stressed about something else. And I was like, that needs to go for every middle schooler parent needs to like put that on their mirror. Like every time the child slams the door in your face, it's almost always because there is something else happening. And our job is not, yeah, we can draw boundaries, right? If they talk to us in a way that's disrespectful, we can draw that. But we also have to get curious about what's triggering that emotion because they need help navigating this. And if we simply respond to the behavior, then we're not getting to the emotional root. So we're not actually teaching emotional self-regulation if all we do is police the behavior and not get curious about the emotions.
0: Yeah, yeah. that I love that anecdote. I really, I do. You know, I... I actually relate to that from my mother in in as much as when my mother calls me and she's upset about something and she always projects on me. And so I always know that she's really just upset about something else that's going on in her life, but it just so happens that I'm the first person that she calls when she is upset. So yes, it goes both ways. It goes for both children and sometimes for parents if your parents are like that. (laughs)
1: Which is why we had to practice apologizing sometimes and like actually naming our own emotions. Like I'm really cranky right now because I have a big work deadline. So when I'm snapping at you, it's not you. (laughs) And I'm trying to control it, but just know that it's a really stressful day for me. And like sometimes like that's really helpful for kids to know, right? Like, I know I'm not going to be at my best today because a blank, 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 and the dog woke me up at two o'clock in the morning. And if my kids know that, there's just also that grace and understanding that they can offer, right? And sometimes they really step up to the plate when they know like mom's having a bad day. And that's really cool, right? When we give them that opportunity, when we share authentically our emotions
0: too. I've noticed because I've done that with my son and I noticed that it's like a game changer when you say either, you know, I don't feel well today or I'm having, like you said, a big deadline at work. It really humanizes us as parents and as people. And so that he said – Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, well then, you know, how can I help you? Can I pack my own snack for for school? You know, I'll go brush my teeth without you reminding me 20 times, whatever it happens to be, but you're right, they really do step up to the plate when you share your thoughts. And it helps sometimes too, for you to just get those thoughts out. Right. To say like, you know, even today, you know, I I'm a little nervous because I have a big client presentation and, you know, he could relate then because, you know, sometimes he has a presentation for school or he has a test. Right. And so I think that there's a lot of similarities in our adult life as well as their, you know, student lives. Yeah. And that just normalizes that like we are all having multiple emotions
1: every day. I mean, I think one of the reasons we get frustrated as parents, we say to our kids, how was your day? And they say good or okay. But like, what do we expect them to say? Right. In the course of our day, didn't we have like a thousand ups and a thousand downs and, you know, on a dime. And sometimes we try to like encapsulate into a single word. Well, our kids can't do that either. Right. So one of the things I do with my kids when they're little is we shifted that up and I'd have them share like a yay and oops and a blah. And I would too, like a yay was something that was exciting that day or that made them smile. And oops was a mistake they made because I had one child who was a perfectionist and we had to work on that. Mm -hmm. And a blah Mm -hmm. was just something that didn't feel good. Right? Like, eh, it was a blah. I didn't like my lunch today or something fell or somebody was mean to me or, you know, big or small And that became, and I would do it too. So I don't have to be thinking during the day. Like I have to think of a mistake that I have to share with my kids because I need to normalize making mistakes and not having it be the end of the world. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: that when they were younger was actually a great way to get them to share some of the negative emotions. Because my son would sometimes at bedtime, because it always happens at bedtime, like call me back and be like, hey, mom, did you have a blah today if we forgot to share? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah buddy. He's like, oh, because I did too. But he wanted to hear mine first because that like gave permission for him to share something
0: he didn't like. I'm going to start using that. I really am. That's, that's my takeaway for right now. I'm going to actively take notes about the yay, oops, and blah. Yep. Love that. So, Deborah, in your Washington Post article, How to Discipline Children in the Heat of the Moment, Lord knows we need help with that. You mention become an emotion scientist. How does a parent become an emotion scientist? So
1: I take that phrase, which I love from Mark Brackett, and he is the director of the Center for Emotional Intelligence at Yale. And he wrote a great book called Permission to Feel, which I can highly recommend. A great, great guy. But he talks about kind of these two impulses of being an emotions judge. Which most of us grew up, the people judging our emotions and judging ourselves. I shouldn't feel this way. I can't believe you're acting this way. That's so ungrateful for you to do this. Like we're judging the feelings. And for women, we often are judging our angry feelings. For men, they're often judging anything that feels vulnerable, right? I shouldn't be feeling this way. An emotion scientist is simply actually being observational and being saying, okay, so I'm noticing. And this is actually a, a great phrase to, to kind of like disassociate yourself from your emotions a little bit. It's like rather than saying I am so stressed, like I am noticing that I am feeling a little activated right now. I'm noticing mm. that I'm cranky, so why? And the scientist is somebody who is experimenting and is, is just asking a question of I am suddenly just like, ugh. So, I mean, first you to do it with yourself, right? I'm, And it may be like when my, my kids were really little, I about three o'clock would have like this emotional dip almost every afternoon at three. And like, you know, of why at first I was like, I'm just like mental health haywire. And then I started having like a Diet Coke and a snack at 2.30. And suddenly it was like, oh, that was an experiment. It was maybe it was a blood sugar thing. Maybe it was, you know, whatever it was with bodies, hormones, breastfeeding, Mm -hmm. that it was like, okay, I can either just you know, judge myself if I can't believe I'm feeling cranky and yelling at my kid, or I can take a step back and get curious. And when we do that with ourselves, it's a lot easier to do it with our kids and to look and say, okay, so, you know, I'm noticing my kid comes home off the bus and is like explosive almost every day. Like, mm-hmm what's happening here? What might help? Like, let's experiment. Is a snack going to help? Is going outside? um, One of the the acronyms that I often share with parents is HOSE, like turning down the HOSE. And H is, am I hungry? O is, you know, am I overstimulated? Especially if you have like introverted children, like Mm -hmm. they come home from the day and like, they're done, they're cooked. S, do I need sleep? And E, exercise, do I need to move my body? And sometimes like, Literally trying one of those three things, a nap, a snack, moving our body, or just quiet time, like calms the emotion down enough that we can look and maybe it's actually solved the uncomfortable emotion, or maybe we then go, Oh, I'm actually really nervous about the test coming up, or I'm actually really nervous about making this phone call to the insurance, you know, company. But I've 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 brought down like the the, the anxious flood enough to be able to, to notice that. And so part of us just being able to not be judgmental to just, again, ask questions, get curious. And, you know, often I think, especially little kids when the emotion is big and this is true for middle schoolers too, they mm-hmm. feel like it's going to last forever. It's our entire present moment. And our job is to recognize that all emotions pass and that when they're in the heat of it, bring it down, Try these things, experiment, and then once the main pieces come down, you can get a sense of, is there something else going on that'd be helpful for them to talk about?
0: Yeah, hose. I'm taking notes on this one too. (laughs) You know, as, as the mother to an introverted son who does tend to get overstimulated and sometimes comes home from school. It, not explosive necessarily, but maybe in a cranky mood. And you think, gosh, like, what could it be? But I'm going to start going through my checklist of the H O S E. And I have to tell you, like, probably 99% of the time, it is one of those things. Yeah.
1: And actually, sometimes it's my kids who remind me, like once I, my son was really cranky after school, and so I started getting testy back, and my daughter said, I think he's just hangry, mom. And, you know, I was like, oh, so I gave him a snack, and, like, life was better for everybody, you know? So it just takes the the edge off the emotion. But, like, I'm glad you brought up introverts because I think that it's really easy for – so I use the, I have one child who's very, who's an introvert. She knows it. And we've talked about this for a long time because I want her to know that in our kind of extroverted world, her temperaments are real strength,
0: mm-hmm. but to
1: also know what she needs to kind of rejuvenate herself. So our introverted children tend to replenish their batteries with quiet time, whereas Mm -hmm. our extroverted children tend to replenish their batteries with being with people. That just charges them up. And so one of the things that I learned about her early on is after school, if there was a play date, it helped her to have 20 minutes at home quiet time before she went out. It made a much more successful social environment for her. And now that she's a little older, she knows that of herself. She's actually requested of me recently, she said, you know, for one of her lessons, you know, her after school activities, she said, can we move it an hour later next fall, so I can come home and rest before I go to it? I was like, yeah, I can totally honor that, because she knows herself and that she gets overstimulated, especially after a really long school day.
0: This episode of Modern Mom Probs is sponsored by Sambacall. Fall is right around the corner, and you know what that means. Cooler weather, layers, and of course, the kids are heading back to school. Did you check off all the items on that never-ending back-to-school list? New clothes, notebooks, pencils, brand-new backpack? The kids want it all. But have you thought about how to help keep them healthy when they're heading back to school? That's where Sambacol comes in. My son and I recently started taking Sambacol every day to help support our immune systems so we could keep doing what we need to do. Sambacol is made from premium European black elderberries, which are natural sources of powerful antioxidants and key vitamins like A, C, and E. They help support a healthy immune system and help you power through your day. What's so great about Sambacol is they have tons of different ways to help your daily helping of Black Elderberry, like syrups, gummies, chewable tablets, drink powders, capsules, and more. They even have products made just for kids. My husband, my son, and I all take Sambacol. We love the gummies. We eat them right after dinner, but before we start the nighttime routine, it's sort of just like a nice little treat and a nice way to end the day. So make a healthy immune system part of your back-to-school strategy this year with Sambacol. My listeners get 15% off their next order of $9.99 or more at SambacolUSA.com by using my promo code MOMPROBS15 at checkout. That's 15% off your order of $9.99 or more at SambaCallUSA.com. Use code MOMPROBS15 at checkout. Okay, here's a pro tip. Save this promo code and website address in your notes app. I know you're busy. Too busy to remember a promo code or to sort through episodes to find it again. Save it and use it when you have a few minutes to shop. The code again is MOMPROBS15 and the website is SambaCallUSA.com. Yeah, I think it's so important to like name that too for the children, so that they don't think that it's there's something wrong with them that they like can't handle going from school to an extracurricular. I'm like, no, it's it's their temperament, right? They need yeah. to charge their batteries in a certain way. And so with my son too, he's nine and a half; he'll be ten in November. And so we know that. But sometimes that came from trial and error of saying, like, "Gosh, like, why isn't this working the way that I would think that it would work?" But then when you realize, like wait, no, that's that's his temperament. You know, he needs to have quiet time. Like you said, like maybe 20 minutes. He doesn't like to go straight from school to an after school activity, he needs some downtime, maybe put on the TV, have a snack, mm-hmm. recharges his batteries, and then he's ready to just go out there and crush it for whatever he's going to do in the afternoon. I think it's really important to identify that as parents because I'm an extrovert. My husband's an introvert, so he understands that better. So as an extrovert, I've had to really learn how to compromise, I guess, for lack of a better word. You know, things that I would want to do, knowing that both of them need to recharge their batteries, especially on the weekends and the afternoons. Downtime, downtime is a huge, huge part of our family life.
1: Yeah, I call it the, like mixed temperament marriages, right? Like, because I yeah, have the same that's thing.
0: That's what it is. <laughs> it's these mixed tem- and it creates sometimes conflict,
1: and you know, sometimes you'll have this extroverted parent who will I actually just had this conversation this week, who is nervous that since her child has like two close friends and doesn't want to go out to the big party, there's something wrong. Like, do they have social anxiety? And I asked them, I said, well, does your child seem unhappy? Or do they seem content with their two close friends? Because not everybody is going to, you know, feel refreshed by going out to a big party. But if that's the way a parent was raised, like that's what it means to be socially successful. And that also is part of being this emotion scientist is like, removing, like, separating kind of our emotions about the child from their own. Like, I might assume that they're feeling left out because they're not going to the big party. They may be relieved. They may not be. Like, I can't assume either way. Like, I have to be open to the conversation that their experience may be very different from my own.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's so true. In that same article from the Washington Post article, you talk about making the implicit explicit. Can we talk a little bit about that? Let's explore that concept. That is one of my favorite
1: kind of ideas as a parent. And so implicit are just things that we assume that they know, right? And this, this can go from emotions to simple things like thanking a person who hands something to you, right? We are like, oh, our child, you know, should absolutely know they should do that. And but if we don't teach them, if we don't make it explicit, And so sometimes we like assume things about kids and we even assume misbehavior when we simply haven't made it explicit for them. So remember the first time I took our our kids out to eat, you know, we haven't, hadn't been in months, we went out to eat and like somebody brought them food and they they said, thank you. And I'm like, are my kids completely ungrateful? Then I thought, you know. My son hasn't been to a restaurant. He was six since he was four. Mm -hmm. And he has no idea this is what you're supposed to do. I have to make it explicit. And so, you know, that really goes for, again, things like, did you know that sometimes when you're hungry, you feel cranky? Like, we know that as adults, we can't assume the kids know it. And of course, now my kids being like eight and 10 are like, mom, you've told us that a thousand times, right? Because I made it really (laughs) explicit, so I need to dial it back a little. But it's, you know, when it comes to, online social etiquette when it comes to any number of things being willing to you know and this this is actually really great as a as a discipline strategy one of the there's something called inductive discipline and basically it means you connect the dots between what they do and how another person feels and mm. the research shows that this is the best form of discipline for helping kids become kind and generous so it's You know, when you hit your brother, it made him feel sad. When you went into her room and rifled through her things, it made her feel this way. And on the reverse, like when you unloaded the dishwasher and I didn't have to remind you, that really helped my morning go so much better. And then your kid like lights up. But, you know, often we just assume here are the chores. Here's how to behave without connecting the dots of, you know, when somebody says hello and you don't say hello back, they think you're unfriendly. Mm -hmm. And they may feel that even if it's not true. So that's one of the reasons that when somebody says hello to you, you say hello back. And it's just helping them connect those dots because, you know, it turns out that a lot of kids who exhibit bullying behaviors, they don't think they are. They actually don't, you know, some obviously are like, oh, I'm going to go inflict pain. But there are a lot of kids who are like, I'm just making a joke. I'm not connecting the dots between what I'm saying and how another person is feeling because they haven't had that social emotional training.
0: I think it's so important that that's something that my husband and I often discuss. I'll give you a quick story. This past weekend, we went out to dinner with my in-laws and in our extended family, and we don't go out to dinner all that often, but we happen to this week. And my son was very hangry. He knew we, he had a very light lunch because we knew that we were going to have a, a big dinner. And so we got to the restaurant, and he was cranky and started eating some bread. He Came out of it a little bit, but at one point, he sort of we were sitting at a round table, turned around and started facing the wall. And I explained to him. I said, "Oh, we, you know, we can't put our back to people. We have to sit all together. This and that." My husband was so frustrated and so upset that my. Child was not facing the group that he was facing the wall. But I explained to my husband, I said, listen, you know, one, we have to model that behavior for him. He may not, off the top of his head, know it's rude to be putting your back to people and staring at paint dry essentially <laughs> it was essentially staring at a hole in the wall and so if it's it's on us as parents to model that and and to model good behavior in public at restaurants and different things like that so i think it's so important that we don't take any of that for granted whether it's saying thank you to the server for bringing us bread whether it's not turning your back on the people that you're sitting with whether it's not staring at a hole in the wall at a restaurant all right. of those things, or even the the bully behavior. It's like children are so, they're new to the world. And whether yes. they're three or whether they're 10, mm-hmm. they're still learning. And it's on us to be able to provide the right modeling for it. And
1: often now let my kids, you know, one of them is a tween, but I do this when I talk to high school students too. Sometimes I just feel out their knowledge. I'll be like, you know, so do you know what this term means? And they'll be like, uh, yeah, kind of. Well, can you tell me what it means? Like, you know, even something like sexting, right? Do you know what that means? And turns out they don't. Like, oh, well, then let me explain it to you. Then it's not like I'm having this big, heavy conversation. I'm just filling you in on something. And so sometimes I just, and sometimes like, oh, of course I know what that means. And they explain it and they do. And that's great. So like, it is explicit. It's put out there, but that's a really easy way, even with young kids, like, do you know, you know, do you know what cyberbullying means? Kind of. All right. Well, let's just, let's just talk about it for five minutes. Like that's just making it explicit, right? Like, you know, do you know why the dog's growling at you right now? You know, because he doesn't like it when you like, grab his ears and so it's just like just like doing that cause and effect because you're right they are new to the world and it's amazing to me that we sometimes expect like little kids to have more emotional control than adults do right like like, how dare you melt down and I'm like I had a good sob in the bathroom the other day but how
0: dare you melt down right like come on (laughs) it's so true it's so true in your children's book series the all the time series you talk about emotions. You talk about a lot of different things because there are several books within the series. It's like, I love you all the time. You have emotions. You wonder. But I want to talk about the one, You Have Feelings. So tell me what inspired you to write a children's series.
1: So the first book, I Love You All the Time, that's a mantra I've used with my kids since they were very little. And that, that actually came about because my daughter, when she was about two, was having this huge meltdown. I didn't know how to solve it. And I scooped her up. And finally, I just said, you know, I love you when you're mad. And she looked at me like, "What's happened to my mother?" It's a weird thing to say. So I just <laughs> kept riffing, right? So what you do as a mom, I'm like, "I love you when you're happy. I love you when you're sad. I love you when you're scared. I love you when you're mad. I love you all the time." And again, it was that explicit. I was like, "Oh, you know what?" Because sometimes we get frustrated when they have big emotions, I have to explicitly say that doesn't really matter what you do or what you feel, like my love is constant. So I wrote that, sent it off, and when it was accepted, they said, can you turn it into a series? I was like, yeah, I'd love to. And so the next book was always going to be You Have Feelings All the Time, because some of my favorite research about emotions and kids and adults is this term called emotional granularity. It was coined by Lisa Barrett Feldman out of Northeastern, an emotion scientist. But basically think of like granules, like grains of sand. It's this ability to name our emotions with a high degree of specificity. And it turns out that when we can differentiate between being angry, irritated, annoyed, or enraged, right? Those are very different levels of angry. We are better able to make good choices with what we feel. And so for little kids, your basic emotions are happy, sad, mad, and scared. So this book is Trying to like extend the emotional vocabulary. It has those, but then it's excited and surprised and two feelings at once. And just trying to very explicitly show all these different emotions, naming them and normalizing that you have feelings all the time because everybody does. We all have feelings all the time because, again, I love what you just said. Yeah, these kids are new to the world and these emotions are big. And if we can help them name them and, you know, name the difference between I'm just a little bit irritated versus I am really, really upset. Those are different feelings and we want to treat them in different ways.
0: Yeah, I, I love that you just went through. I don't know if it was like four or five adjectives essentially describing, you know, being upset or being angry, but, but you're right. It's like the nuance of all those different things. So now that you're saying that, I'm going to start to introduce that to my son so that he can know like what a small problem is and what a large problem is. Cause I know sometimes when he gets upset, his reaction does not match the problem and yeah. it, it's out of proportion. Right. And so I, think it's important then for him to say, you know, oh, I'm just a little irked by this thing versus yeah. like, this is catastrophic and the whole, my life is over, you know? And I think that when you can name it, like I said, with the correct adjective, then it should hopefully, hopefully with with work, your reaction then matches that problem. Yeah,
1: exactly. Because, you know, when you have an adult who still thinks the basic emotions are just mad sad you know, scared and happy, right? Without those, like, that is where we become emotionally stunted. But it's when we can recognize this range. And it's also helpful in terms of empathy, because if you can recognize that there's emotion of surprise for some people, especially often they introverts, being surprised is uncomfortable. It might be like confused or, and for others, be surprised like is a synonym for excited. I'm really excited that the teacher said, we're going to do something different. We have other kids who are like, I'm actually kind of wary and confused because it's a surprise. And that's really helpful to be like, oh, okay. Different people can respond to this in different ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I, <laughs> I, I, want like everyone to read all of these books and to read them to your children. Because what I I didn't mention before, and I should have, was that obviously the beginning part of it is for the children. But at the end, the last like two or three pages or so, you have fantastic tips for the caregivers. Care to share a little bit about that? I do. And I was really excited. I, I actually kind of targeted my
1: publisher free spirit for that reason. So there's a letter to caregivers in the back that basically kind of, kind of summarizes the research and gives practical tips. And that just goes back to my roots as kind of a PBS kids parent columnist is, you know, there's so many amazing parenting books and I, many I can highly recommend, but I also know that parents are really busy. So you know, hopefully you're sitting down and at least reading books to your kids. It's like the best thing you can do for your kids is read a bedtime story. And if I could weave in some help, practical help for parents in there, I thought that would be a great kind of parent education tool to be able to say, read with your kids and also hear like just three tips if you want to kind of take this a little bit further.
0: Yeah, I love all of those tips. I was reading through those like, like furiously reading through those. So Deborah, what is your key takeaway that you'd like to share?
1: You know, I think one of the most hopeful pieces of research for parents that I quote all the time comes from the Harvard Center for the Developing Child. And they did all this research on kids who'd experienced challenges, real challenges, even traumas. And what they found for those kids who emerged okay, was that they had at least one stable, supportive caring caregiver, not a perfect caregiver, not a caregiver who had degrees in child psychology, but stable and caring. And I was like, that as parents, we beat ourselves up so much. But if we can be that stable, caring presence in the life of a child, like that is what the research tells us is really going to make the difference. And so, you know, you're going to have your bad days, your good days, you're going to get triggered, you're going to apologize, but they need us to show up. They need to know that we love them all the time. And, you know, it's 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 a learning curve for them, it's a learning curve for us this journey, but if you can be that one stable caring person, like you're going to make a difference even or even because of all the mistakes you make.
0: Yep. Yeah, I'm almost getting choked up, and I'll tell you, I was reading through your books one more time right before we jumped on this call, and I noticed that quote at the end of of one of your books in the letter to the caregivers, and I got choked up. I actually, and I'm not a crier, but that choked me up, and I thought to myself, "That's it. That's my purpose. I need to be that one stable caregiver for my son, and and that's my my place in this world." And so. I appreciate that. And, and I hope everyone that's listening now can be that one stable person for their children. Deborah Farmer-Chris, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Tell everyone where we could find you online. If you go to parenthood365.com, you have links to
1: all my social channels there and links to my book. So that's and a lot of my articles, too. So that's kind of the hub right there.
0: Excellent. And I love your articles. I mean, you write for NPR, Washington Post, and Oprah Daily. Um, you have articles literally all over the place. I love it. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, I love my job. It's great because one of the best parts of my job
1: is that if I'm struggling with something, I can call up another expert and be like, hey, so I'm writing an article on Blink. Can you give me some wisdom? And it's really for my audience, but it really is for me. So it's honestly been, I, you probably feel the same way. like I, you, I was you, you talk about to people say. like,
0: Just give me the wisdom. Give me the wisdom. I need it. (laughs) I feel the same way. I'm like, you know, I'm really struggling with emotional regulation. Let me see who I could call up and chat with. And it's the best best part of my job. (laughs) I love it. Deborah. thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Modern Mom Probs. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive in today's problem with me, your host, Tara Clark. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another great guest and tackling another modern mom problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and a rating. As always, you could head over to Modern Mom Probs on Instagram and give me a follow or check out my book, Modern Mom Probs, A Survival Guide for 21st Century Mothers, available online wherever books are sold. Well, that's it for today. See you next time, folks.